Hey, welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. This week, we are sitting down with credit expert Richard Moxley, and he touches on the different ways that you can rebuild your credit after maybe a credit disruption like a bankruptcy, or perhaps you're just getting started on your credit journey, and you're looking at a way to get to the perfect 900. Hope you enjoy. This is the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, the show that highlights Saskatchewan real estate. Looking to buy your first house, your next investment property? Subscribe to never miss an episode. Here's your host, Ron Caroni. Hello and welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. My name is Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional, and super happy to have Richard Moxley on the call today, credit expert and published author. We've had authors on the podcast before, but really excited to have Richard on because I I, I saw your stuff earlier, Richard, when I first started podcasting and I thought I got to have this guy on because this is an amazing topic and it's really connected to real estate. Um, so first off, welcome to the podcast and then just give us a little Thank intro you. to yourself and tell the viewers uh, just a little bit about you. Well, I'm Sagittarius, like long walks on the beach. And uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I guess when I'm not uh, filling out my dating profile, I am married um, and uh, I have five kids. Uh, so that would pretty much scratch any dating possibilities I would ever hope to have. Uh, so we're in Calgary. Uh, I've My history is mortgage financing. Uh, 2012, got a, a published a book. The first book that came out was The Nine Rules of Credit. And ever since then, I've been focusing full-time on credit education, helping Canadians dispute errors, fraud, that kind of stuff. That's amazing. So let's just hop right into it, Richard. What are some sure. of those common scenarios that damage people's credit? Well, there's a lot uh, that can happen. Uh, th there's errors where it's essentially just a, just a mistake. Uh, let's say there's two people with a similar name, or uh, you are unfortunate enough to be named after one of your family members, uh, then, and I say unfortunate, uh, even if you really like them, uh, the unfortunate part is, is that in the system with Equifax and TransUnion, the more common your name is, the more likely there's going to be some kind of error, uh, their wow. information popping up on yours. And if you've lived with them or had a similar address, then that, that percentage of uh, error increases dr drastically. So that's something to uh, be aware of. And and then there's obviously fraud, which is the number one growing crime in Canada. So that uh, obviously is, uh, is a big one. And then uh, as far as just errors or issues, that's, that's, I guess, the most common thing that I see is just misinformation showing up where it shouldn't be. Awesome. Uh, that, that's such a fascinating one, touching on the uh, the same name, Richard, because even as you're discussing this thing, these things with your partner, and let's say that I want to name my son Ronald <laughs> James Coroni, you're giving her a really great answer saying, there's no way we're naming our kid that because it might cause issues on credit. And, it, and I would never really think of that. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. Touching on certain things that we're going to run into mostly in the mortgage industry, Richard, uh, some common things that I come across are uh, divorce um, and, and medical troubles. It, do you find that's kind of like the most common thing that someone's really going to run into a financial crisis, whether that be needing to do a consumer proposal or bankruptcy? Are there any kind of major ones that we're missing or, or another common one that we'd see on the mortgage front? 
I would say divorce, uh, and I'm going to break that into kind of joint credit uh, being a, a major issue because uh, even if you aren't married to the person or in a serious relationship, uh, and this generally goes for those that are new to Canada, they seem to be much nicer than us uh, Canadians because they will actually have joint credit with friends and family or, or like extended family, like cousins and stuff like that. And so your cousin needs a loan. They don't have any credit. You gladly put your name on there. Uh, and, and so that's joint credit regardless of, you know, a relationship or, or, or exactly how that works. But if you're putting your name on someone else's or, or tying it with someone else, that joint credit uh, can be a very damaging, not just because it's joint credit. There's nothing wrong with having joint credit. It's just the fact that it increases the risk drastically as far as if there is any insolvency down the road, if there is fraud, or if there is that person missing payments in any way, shape, or form. What you need to know is that if you put your name on the application, you are 100% responsible for both the minimum payment and the full balance outstanding. And I think that's one of those things that when we throw the word around like co-signer or helping someone else get the loan with you, sometimes the gravity of that situation is not fully understood or well explained. And so right. can you just give me like a, just a, a broad example of how that might work and how it could significantly damage someone's credit, even you know someone signing a vehicle loan? Yeah. So vehicle loan, the, the challenge uh, or any account, but let's just go with the vehicle loan. I'll give you an example. I had a client uh, who had his son uh, did a, a co-signed for his son, and his son did everything right except for uh, he his son got into a, a marital breakdown, and that the the vehicle was taken and and it was just a, a messy, <laughs> unfortunately, a very messy situation for his son and and the relationship breakdown. And because his name was on there, it then stopped his ability to get best rate mortgage financing. So uh, because the there was some mispayments because the vehicle was stolen and then it took some while and then the son didn't pay it because it was supposed to be paid by the ex and, and lawyers and, and all this all this extra information, but unfortunately, the lenders don't really care what the situation is. If your name's on it, they res they expect that that payment to be made. And because what happened with the son, he wasn't really aware and obviously just uh, distracted by everything else he was going through in life, didn't make those payments. And then it ended up uh, costing the, the dad uh, about $20,000 in the end of it with the higher fees and interest before everything could get resolved. And this is not necessarily something that that lender is going to reach out to you and say, this loan that you're co-signed on is now in default. It might be a That's complete right. surprise to you that as you're going for mortgage, vehicle, financing, anything that you might have uh, really bad credit due to this mispayment that you are not directly connected with. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it happens more often than we would like. Um, so kind of touching on divorce, Richard, a lot of times uh, folks do run into some 
problems around marital uh, breakdowns, and then their credit really takes a hit. Can you touch us? Can you take us through why during a divorce does that happen? Well, divorce is an emotional time, uh, and and it generally doesn't end well. Uh, it it generally is uh, a lot of moving parts and and emotion on top of everything else that we're already busy with as far as if you have kids involved or or even just work and and just the regular things that occupy our time and then we get distracted or we have these additional things that that come about and and one of those being is that a lot of times lawyers will say don't pay this because they have to pay for it or uh, even a judge if if they rule that it's someone else's responsibility unfortunately that doesn't change the fact that the that you signed an agreement with the the lender and that has to be honored regardless of what the judge says unless it is officially off your report and 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 removed and so a lot of people because they've had some kind of joint finance or joint something uh even if they are paying everything on time according to what they're supposed to be doing doesn't mean that that that's not going to essentially catch you in in the background and then even if there isn't that that joint credit involved then uh the other problem is is that you might be closing accounts in order to separate that or just kind of close it all out and closing accounts also lowers your score and and can force someone to have to restart from scratch, which then once again uh, can can influence someone's ability to get mortgage financing. Is there any way to mitigate that as you're kind of going through? I, I guess no one ever really plans to get divorced. Everyone kind of goes into relationships with the hope that everything is going to work out. Statistically, we know that doesn't take place. But is there things that people can do on the front end to limit their liability when it comes to credit risk um, in, in a breakdown of a marriage? Well, not having joint credit is is a big one. And uh, now being joint on a, on a mortgage application is different because the asset's not going to move. And, and you, you know, it's, it's not like you can go and, and sell it or rack up something that is attached to the house. So that's a little bit more protection. But as far as the other things, having joint vehicle loan, joint anything, really puts an increased risk on on everything. Uh, bank accounts are, are fine because they don't show up, but there are some times where uh, there's a couple banks that do overdraft together. So that's something to be careful about. But as far as the, the real risk uh, is a lot of people don't even know what's showing up on their credit report or not. And so that's something that they should be checking because when there's divorce and there's some uh, maybe some negative feelings, the the chances of them doing fraud against you is even greater because they have all your personal information. They may know your mother's uh, maiden name, which seems to be a keyword with a lot of the banks. And so that they have all this information. So if, if they are vindictive, greater chance that there's going to be some some fraud on on your report because of that so 
And there's one other major credit issue that I kind of wanted to touch on and kind of tying yeah. it back to to getting a mortgage. It's uh, clients who have fairly good credit or they think they have good credit, but they have very high balances and then sometimes late payments. And I wanted you to just maybe expand for us on how high balances and late payments can have a real drag on your credit score and make it hard for you to secure uh, maybe some of that A financing that you're looking for. Uh, so the first thing is, uh, let's go with the payments. Uh, there's this misconception out there that you can be 30 days late on on a payment and still be okay. Uh, th that's not true. So the moment that minimum payment is due, if you're late on that, then they can register it to Equifax and TransUnion. And that late payment has the ability to essentially get you declined regardless of what your score is. Uh, so a lender, if it's just one that happened randomly a few years ago, probably not going to be a big deal. But as far as you show a trend or a current late payment, as you know, <laughs> that's not something that an underwriter is going to uh, be okay with, or at least they're going to have additional questions and, and try and figure out what's going on there. So that's that's one with the late payments. And I see those mostly with cell phones. Uh, cell phones there is no minimum payment. So even if you have a written contract or a side agreement with the telephone provider, it doesn't change the fact that you are 100% responsible for the full balance throughout uh, on, on a cell phone because there is no such thing as a minimum payment. And so a lot of people will not realize that a cell phone even shows up or that they have to make 100% of the payment at the end of the month whenever it's due Otherwise, that's going to ding the credits pretty bad. Right. And I think you touched on like our super important point there is that your credit score is important. It gives us a really good idea of your likelihood of paying back that loan, but it doesn't guarantee you any financing. And there might be things on the report, even if you have an 800 credit score, which is very good, there might be a trend on your bureau that makes a lender say, we would uh, we would defer from issuing you financing because you have four missed payments on a credit card that you didn't know about. Right. Yeah. yeah. Really great points. Thank you so much for that. And now touching on if we're looking at rebuilding our credit, Richard, if we've had some damaged experiences and we've gone through that divorce, we have that credit card that we forgot about. Um, let's touch on some of the the ways that a, a person would go about uh, rebuilding their credit score and, and how we would kind of advise them to, to increase it. So the first thing, if you are either coming from some kind of debt program, divorce or, or starting brand new. There's a lot of credit rebuilding products out there. A lot of people selling different ideas on, on the best way to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of these products don't show up on both Equifax and TransUnion, which then causes issues if the lender is just looking at Equifax or just looking at TransUnion and you've built credit with one that only shows up on one. And then there's even some credit cards that don't show up on either. <laughs> and, mm. and so there's there's this problem out there where people are selling these credit rebuilding products, but it's not necessarily doing a really good job or even showing up on the credit report. That's that's something that you need to be aware of what actually shows up and what builds the credit. Uh, that's probably number one. And the, the other big one that I see that is much more common and you would kind of refer to it before was uh, having maxed out credit cards or or 
large balances on there. On a loan or line of credit, the maxed out loan or, or amounts not really too damaging to the score. As long as you have the income to cover it and, and the debt service things there, your income versus your debt amount. But as far as your credit score, when you have a balance over half of whatever your limit is on a credit card and it gets reported that way to Equifax and TransUnion, you're going to see large dramatic drops to the score. Really? Yeah. So you could see 80 point drop just because you got caught over the limit or with a high balance. Wow. That's yeah. massive. And yeah, a lot of people that, think that they're okay because they're making those minimum payments. Right. Or even paying it off at the end of the month. So that's the problem that I come across my, a lot is, is people will pay off at the end of the month, but that's not necessarily when that credit card is reporting to Equifax and TransUnion. So it's just a snapshot in time. And if you get caught with a high balance, that snapshot then your score drops 50 points. Then all of a sudden you go and apply for financing and you're getting either charged higher interest rates or, or declined because of the fact that, you know, it, it just took the snapshot at the wrong time of the month. Yeah. Right. And and not to, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but essentially that's as easy as going to the credit card company or your bank and saying, I need a higher line of credit or I need a higher credit limit for this card. And if you know that you're spending a certain amount of money, just increase it that much so that you know that you're not going to reach that danger zone of overutilization. Yeah. So they, they don't necessarily care on Equifax and TransUnion side of things what the actual balance is, it is the percentage between the balance versus the limit. So even if you're just a $500 balance, that can still be a high high balance in the eyes of Equifax and TransUnion if you only have a limit of $750 or, or, or a $500 limit. So the key is the percentage. So in, in response to your question there, that is one solution. Uh, calling them up, seeing if you can increase the limit the other solutions are don't use it as much or pay it off more often so that that balance is always considered low by Equifax and TransUnion. Right. And my follow-up to that was you get someone who says, you know, I have a problem handling credit. If I know the limit is yeah. there, I, I will go above that. And so I think that's a really key point that you're kind of you know, alluding to there, that there needs to be maybe some self-evaluation about that credit use. And if you can only handle a $2,000 credit limit, you really have to be careful in how you're utilizing that. Or like you're saying, pay and uh, use the credit and then uh, pay it off right away. Yeah, and if, if you do assess yourself and, and think credit cards are dangerous because of the fact that that there is some uh, you know some temptation there to go over, what I would suggest to do is is find some automatic bills like the you know the electricity or like Nmax or something or, or uh, whatever I, I don't know what you guys have in Saskatchewan, but uh, whatever the utilities Sask are, Sask Energy, Sask, Sask Power. Energy, that's it. So w whatever you have, uh, like Netflix, Spotify, Apple, you can put those on the the credit card, and then actually go into your online bank dashboard and have that automatically paid off each month, and then cut up the card, and it's being used and paid off automatically no temptation, and then just use debit and cash for the rest of your transactions so that, or, or a debit visa that doesn't affect your credit score, use that type of product so that you're not getting yourself into trouble.
Great tips. And I wanted to come back to something we'd alluded to at kind of the beginning of this question. Uh, Richard, you talked about um, programs that don't necessarily do a great job of remediating your credit or they don't report to the right ways. Are there certain cards or is there a strategy that you would implement um, that would help someone effectively rebuild that credit? And are there certain products that you would specifically recommend? So the there it kind of depends on the individual uh so and and what province you live in because there are different uh uh different products that don't necessarily go into all the different provinces uh but in in general credit cards are one of the best ways to reestablish as long as you can control yourself or at least put in safeguards like we just talked about on on having it active, but not necessarily in your face, tempted to use it all the time. Uh, so credit cards are the best way to rebuild. There's a lot of companies that will promote and and kind of stress uh, loans, and loans are generally pretty expensive when you're rebuilding. So having a, a loan with a major bank, vehicle or personal or whatever is is fine because the the interest rates are much better, but the non-major banks, and if you have bad credit, you're looking at anywhere between 10 to 30% on that loan. Wow. That's expensive just to try and rebuild your credit. And the problem that I have with loans when rebuilding credit is that it only builds your credit while you have it open. So you could have that open for six months or, or seven years, depending on what type of loan it is. But as soon as you pay it off, then your score drops. <laughs> so that that's something where a credit card you can keep open longer. You don't have to pay the stupid high interest rates as long as you keep the balance and pay off the balance each month. So yeah, it, it it's that type of credit. Uh, credit cards are, are definitely the one that I suggest for the majority of people. And active credit is also really important. Yes. I had an experience uh, two years ago where a client had uh, a really good credit history, but he'd actually paid off a lot of his loans. And at the yeah. time that we were applying for the loan, he had zero active credit. And it actually became very difficult to find him a lender who would actually accept his profile, even though he had a good score reporting on his bureau. Now we, we did, we were able to get the loan to go through, but um, can we just quickly touch on the people who use no credit in their life and how it does become difficult, even though you are a very prudent person and in not using credit, you you feel you are very safe and, and just touch on why active credit is so important as we're looking for, for things like loans. So that the banks have an unofficial slogan. It's uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> and so uh, when it comes to uh, a lender, they're not really interested in, in wild cards. They like to know what they're dealing with. And so when you don't have active credit, they don't know how you deal with credit. And just because you dealt with something, you know, a year or, or three years ago in that, that's good. They can't, they're not going to assume on your favor that you're still that type of person they're going to assume that something happened and you no longer can trust or 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 deal with credit and then they're just going to paint you with that same uh that negative brush uh it, it just kind of overlooks and and the other problem that lenders have is is that their system is very much automated uh so their underwriting processes their systems uh, we we call it a box in the underwriting, and and I'm sure you're familiar. Sorry, you don't fit 
in that box. Uh, it is very much, they have their guidelines and they do millions and millions of lending. And this is what they have deemed as their guidelines. So even if it's not common sense, you know, I've had clients decline for a secure credit card and they have a million dollars in the, the, the account, the bank won't give them a secure credit card because they don't fit in that lender's box. So it, it's something where you kind of have to throw out reason and understand that you need to have active credit and proving consistently and, and regularly that you can handle your bill payments. Otherwise, they're going to assume that uh, you're a terrible person <laughs> and, and you're not going to pay your bills on time. That's awesome. A really great point. And that whole thing was was excellent, Richard. I think there are tons of, of little nuggets in here that I think is, um, even for myself, I'm listening to this and I work in the industry. There, there's lots that I'm learning. So really awesome stuff. Now, if there are some other, um, not not to call them out, but the credit nerds out there, the people who are on the, on the search for the perfect 900, what can we tell them uh, some general advice uh, of getting that perfect credit score, or even if you're someone who is just looking to to have a better score as you're looking to to get a home or vehicle loan, uh, what advice can you give them for for having a really good score? If you're looking for a 900 score or or just uh, you have higher than a, a 7, 750 and you're looking for higher, I really want you to look in the mirror and and analyze your life and look for better things to do with your time. Um, because, and and I get that we're, we're always, sometimes it's competition, you want to have it better than your spouse, or or just because you want to have, you think it's going to get you somewhere. I've never seen a 7 or an 850 or a 900 ever do any benefit for a client that a 750 wouldn't. And, and so the the algorithm gets really finicky and picky the higher you go. And so I, I don't even like if someone has a 750 and they call me and they're trying to, I won't even take them on as a client because I will tell them they need to get a hobby. Um, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean it that literally like you're getting into to picky things that in, in reality don't really matter. There is no immediate benefit in your life other than being able to say, I have this score. Exactly. And it doesn't Breaking really points. even, you know, count on anything like that. Um, just as a as a general guideline, uh, anything over 720 is generally what I see from lenders that that's kind of their their minimum for great products. So if there is a, a home equity line of credit or if there's a, a certain product that they're issuing, usually 720 is what I see, Richard, as anything above 720 and you're, you're fairly good as long as there's nothing negatively reporting on that bureau. Is that generally what you'd say, Richard, or is there another number that you would say people would aim for to say, once you've reached this, you're doing all right? I tell people over 700 and and you're good uh, which which is hard for them to comprehend because when they look online on the scoring like the categories based on Equifax and TransUnion it it doesn't put them in amazing or excellent until it gets over that 750 and and it's fine but but the problem I have with the score is it, the score that they're looking at isn't even the one that the banks are using which just adds a whole bunch of added confusion to it. Right. So typically, if you're at, if you're seeing over 700 on the consumer score that you have access to, the one that you're seeing uh, or, or any bank or lender is seeing 
is probably going to be higher and you're good to go. Awesome. Another fantastic point, Richard. Thank you so much. Um, I, I didn't include this in the questions that I'd originally forward to you, but I'll, I'll toss it at you. I like to ask it of everyone who comes on the podcast. <laughs> Put me on the hot seat. If you could go back and give yourself some advice to a younger version of Richard, what advice would that be? And it could be credit related, it could be career related, or it could be, you know, buy Bitcoin and sell it at the right time. Uh, you know, for me personally, in my life, uh, I was way too much, uh, too focused on money. Uh, just as not, not as, like as a kid, yeah, it was, it's just very much focused on, on, on money and, and trying to be the best or, or just kind of the drive. I was very driven to, to do certain things or, or to be what I considered as, you know, really successful um, my, my one advice to, to myself, uh, personally would have been just chill out, <laughs> enjoy the scenery, uh, don't spend so many late nights, you know, tr trying to do one more video or do, you know, one more page of the book. Uh, the book could have just have been just as successful waiting another three months as, as opposed to trying to force it all down and, and ignore my kids for, you know, that, that, that night or, or whatever. So. So for me personally, it, it has to do with the fact that uh, I, I needed to chill out when I was younger. <laughs> awesome. I really appreciate that insight, Richard. Thank you. Um, and, and lastly, uh, I'll throw it to you. Where can people get more information about you? How can they uh, follow you? Where can, you buy, where, can, where can they buy your books? And generally just keep up to date. So uh, following uh, YouTube and Facebook is where I'm at uh, most right now. I am looking at uh, with my kids doing TikTok uh, to, to kind of get some more basic or general knowledge for younger generations to, to kind of understand. Uh, but as far as right now, YouTube, Facebook, and then uh, you can always visit me on my online. Uh, it's creditgame.net, N-E-T, so creditgame, G-A-M-E. And if people were looking on Facebook, YouTube, what would they search, Richard? Would they search your name or would it be uh, a different moniker? Yeah, I, I, there's not too many Richard Moxley's out there and and none that I know of that uh, are, are into credit as much as I am. So you, you'll probably find me if you'd use my name, uh, but also Credit Game is, is Credit Game Canada is essentially all of the, the handles for, for the different social media plat platforms. Awesome. Super valuable episode, Richard. I can't wait to, to cut this up and send it to different clients that I know will really appreciate this really awesome information. So thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us and sharing you your knowledge. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. If you found some value, some knowledge here, make sure to do us a favor, help the algorithm by hitting the like button. And if you don't want to miss future episodes of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, make sure to subscribe. Until next week, I'm Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional. Have a great week.